please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Theologian Ian Markham tells a story about a journalist who was stationed in Jerusalem and was looking for local human interest stories. She happened to hear of an older Jewish man, a resident of the city, who had made it a spiritual practice to go to the Western Wall, sometimes known as the Wailing Wall, twice a day to pray. Now, the Western Wall is all that's really left of the last Jewish temple to be built in the Holy City. It's become a sacred place of prayer and devotion for Jews and all kinds of people of faith from all over the world. Many write their prayers on small strips of paper and cram them into the crevices of the wall. Intrigued by the practice and the identity of this man who had gone to the wall for many decades on a daily basis, the young journalist went to the spot and waited, watching for this man. When she finally spotted him, he appeared bent and bowed and slow, but determined as he made his way to the wall. For 45 minutes, he bowed and prayed and then slipped his paper into that crevice on the wall. And as he started to leave, the journalist approached him. How long have you been coming to the wall and praying, she asked. For about 60 years, the man replied. That's incredible. For what do you pray, she asked. For many things, for peace among Jews and Christians and Muslims, for an end to hatred and violence, for children to grow up in safety, for an end to hunger and oppression, for understanding and compassion. How do you feel after doing that for 60 years, the reporter asked. Like I've been talking to a stone wall, the man said as he walked away. We chuckle at his sarcasm, but I wonder if we can't all relate to it as we move into yet another devastating surge in the middle of this awful pandemic. Who among us hasn't felt like we've chewed the ear off of God's head praying for an end to this mess and a return to something that feels more normal? And yet here we are again facing rising infections, overwhelmed hospitals and fears for friends and family and community. I had several conversations with colleagues this week who were simply ready to throw up their hands and quit. I'm done, one of them said. I just can't do this anymore. Facing the prospect of yet another exhausting confrontation in the struggle against this disease, there's little doubt that those sentiments are shared by many nurses and doctors and healthcare workers across this country and the world. Then there's the anger, the fear, and the uncertainty 
with which teachers and students and families are grappling as they face the prospect of yet another year of school marked by masks and distancing and the near certainty of a return to virtual school at some point. We're all tired. We're all frustrated. And honestly, many of us just want to give up. I wonder if our feelings of anxiety and anger and disillusionment aren't similar to those felt by the prophet Elijah. That prophet had fled into the wilderness to escape death at the hands of Queen Jezebel. Elijah had defeated the prophets of Baal in a dramatic showdown, and then in a fit of anger had slaughtered them. And Jezebel was furious, and together with King Ahab decided to kill Elijah for his actions. Elijah is exhausted and disillusioned, both with himself and the situation in Israel. No matter what he's done, things haven't improved. The nation is locked in the grip of a devastating and crushing drought, and the most vulnerable are suffering and dying because of it. Elijah had hoped that his appeal to King Ahab would move the monarch to action, but it hadn't. Even his defeat of the prophets of Baal didn't end the madness as he'd hoped, but only seemed to make things worse. Elijah gives up as he sets down under a tree in the middle of the desert and pleads with God to take his life. I'm no better than my ancestors, he laments. Exhausted, the prophet falls asleep. And he's awakened sometime later by an angel, I suppose tapping on his shoulder, inviting him to wake up. And the angel says to him, look, here's bread and water, eat and drink. And the prophet does, and then he falls asleep again. And sometime later, that angel taps him on the shoulder yet again, get up and eat. And once again, the prophet eats and drinks and something happens in those moments. The presence of God in that angel, the presence of nourishment in the food and drink, the presence of rest in his body and soul refreshes the prophet. And soon Elijah is on his way for 40 days through the desert in discernment and prayer with God. Elijah will meet God at Mount Sinai and seek direction and guidance for how to keep going. It's amazing what a little bit of rest and some decent food and drink can do for a weary body and soul. Jesus knew that, of course, which is why he speaks so much about the need to rest and to eat. Each of the gospel narratives record incidents where Jesus slips away from the crowds to spend time alone in rest and prayer. And they also note that Jesus is almost always moving from one table to another, sharing meals with any and all who offer. 
Jesus knows that the hard work ahead, the work of justice and compassion requires body, mind, and soul to be as strong and healthy as possible. As the crowds seeking Jesus grow, so too do their demands. They want healing for any and all among them who were ill. From all over Palestine, they bring those of all ages and conditions to him, begging, pleading for help. Jesus is moved by those pleas and does as much as he can, but he struggles to keep his focus on the much larger work of equipping disciples to share the load. It's too much for one person to do, and healing individual ailments is only part of what Jesus has come to do. It isn't enough to put a bandage on the problem. Jesus wants to teach people a different way of life, one that overcomes the challenges that inflict so much suffering. Finding the time to teach, though, proves daunting in the face of so much illness and so much need. That's why Jesus has gathered the crowds and tried to teach them about the kingdom of God, that relationship of interdependence rooted in a concern for love and justice and healing that God has always been creating and bringing to birth among those seeking to be in right relationship with God and with others. Having just experienced the feeding of the multitudes, though, the crowds are more interested in the wonders they have seen at the hands of Jesus. They demand miracles from Jesus, food from nothing, cures for every ailment they face, and yet what Jesus offers them is not supernatural acts of wonder. What Jesus offers them is the bread of presence an assurance that God is with them in the struggles of life, a hand holding their own through the aching uncertainty of those seemingly never-ending nights of suffering and grief. This is the food that brings true and lasting fulfillment, the food that brings life that never ends. There have been so many wonderful stories over the past two weeks of the Olympics that have illustrated the truth of how nourishing is the presence of others and how we can be food for each other's souls in the midst of hardship. I think of Simone Biles, the gymnast who, feeling overwhelmed by physical pain and emotional stress, withdrew from competition, citing the need to care for her mental and physical health. Her example helps to normalize the struggles of so many. And then there's the beautiful story of Qatar's Mataz Essa Barshim and Italy's Gianmarco Timberi who tied in the high jump competition. When a tiebreaker did not resolve the impasse, the two athletes, long friends as well as competitors, petitioned to share the gold medal. And the judges agreed, and those two athletes showed the world a better way. 
Theologian Linda Fabian Pepe writes, our journey with God can sometimes cause us to do things and be things that we may not want to do or didn't ever see ourselves doing or being. There might be times when things get scary, but what we can learn through Elijah, that when things happen, when the road gets hard, that it's okay to be afraid or worried or frustrated. It's even okay to feel like giving up. The good news of which Jesus reminds us is that no matter where we find ourselves or what challenges we face, God is always with us. Sometimes it's in the encouragement of those around us, in the hand of another reaching out to hold our own, in the beauty of a sunset or the sun peeking through the clouds. Maybe it's a quiet walk in the woods. God is with us and God invites us to not only receive the bread of life, this marvelous presence that is all around us, but God also invites us to become that very gift for each other as well. Life is short and it's often filled with uncertainty and struggle and heartache, but it doesn't have to be endured alone. There is joy to be found in God, in the world God has made, in each other. That is the bread of life for us and for a world filled with hunger. For all of us, that promise of food that truly and eternally satisfies takes flesh and blood at this table as the one who has endured the agony of abandonment and the ecstasy of resurrection meets us here and offers us once more the bread of life. Amen.